The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
What's I get that? Your blood going or what? Huh? I tell you what, it's uh, it sort of deceptively slow. Yeah, kind of does. Know? Kind of does. Which we actually had edited. If the folks at home don't know, it's got a little like uh, let's call it studio banter. Yeah, that it opens with. Yeah, the vocal warm up. Yeah, and then yeah. immediately it drops down in the first and, and squeals away in your driveway. Yeah, right. So yeah, good choice. Now, what would you give that on the Michael Sean Lee? Tasty scale. I'm giving that a 9 out of 10, I got to say. Dude, you're a broken record. That's so patronizing. (laughs) Can't all be tense. It's, you know, it's a gem. By its very nature, it's high on the tasty scale. It is. I tell you what, it's it's more gem-like than some of those that have come before. Mm. This is more like what we originally intended. Yeah, it's it's kind of a little obscure, and it's kind of funny, because that's, I, I think, a tag you can throw on Humble Pie. As influential as they were to so many bands that, that came after them and whatnot, they mm-hmm. never you know, hit the level of fortune and fame right. that a lot of the bands that they influenced did. And but otherwise, I mean, they're well-known within the circles of classic rock aficionados like um, ourselves. Musicians know them. Man, yeah. And if I ever had to pick a guy whose voice I wish I had, it was mm-hmm. definitely Stevie Marriott. Interesting. I mean, he was one soulful, soulful white boy. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was a good, good example of it right there. Um, for those that uh, are not in the know, that was 30 Days in the Hole. That was off their 1972 album, Smokin'. And uh, one, of the, one of the things I love about that song, overall, the song, if you, yeah, John, you're not a lyric guy, so maybe you didn't pick up on this, but mm-hmm. uh, it bemoans being arrested for possession of small amounts of drugs. And uh, over the course of the lyrics, and it makes you wonder how they got this on the radio back in 1972, uh, he references cocaine, marijuana, two different kinds of hash, and heroin. <laughs> and to people who have heard the, the lyrical reference to Newcastle Brown, Hate to break this to you, folks, but he wasn't talking about the uh, the Good ale. <laughs> he was uh, he was making reference to uh, to uh, yeah to heroin. So, mm. but uh, fun song in that respect. You know, <laughs> it definitely appeals to me, and it uh, yeah it, it it definitely flies in the face of Law and Order. And you know what? That's why it was a perfect choice to start us off tonight, because tonight we're going to, for the opening segment, diving into that world of of Law and Order. Yes, and controversy. And controversy. Uh, because we've got ourselves a, uh, a new nominee for the Supreme Court of these here United States. It would seem. Amy Co... What is it? Co- See, you're, you're unprepared for the, new, <laughs> for the new now. You should know this stuff, and you should be vilifying her frequently. And, you and know, I, I probably will after doing a little reading about it, but she kind of came out of nowhere to me. I mean, you were obviously a lot more up on, on her uh, Sure, she her was on my radar, and not CD. just because she could conceivably be construed as a tasty MILF. That's got nothing to do with it. it, it she, yeah, she's, what, 48 years old? Yeah. She's, yeah. yeah, she's, she's young a, a young, Yeah, Court. she's a young player in this game. Yeah. Of course, her name is Amy Coney Barrett. That's now, normally, it. yeah, right off the bat, normally, women with three names is a turnoff to me. Yeah, I don't yeah, get it's that kind, whole of, thing. kind of a red flag, kind of right, a warning. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a resting Karen face at the, at the very bare yes. minimum. But, uh, yeah, she's going to be the new nominee to replace um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, as we all know, was so pure she made Mother Teresa look, look like a pimp. She, uh, she's, she's become somewhat of a superhero. In yes, her, uh, or at the very least a folk hero. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's kind of... I. That's another one that came out of the blue yes. on me. I mean, I know that you know there are definitely segments of people on the left that are uh, that are putting her up on the pedestal of mm-hmm. pedestals, and uh, I kind of expect her to be buried in a cape. Sure, you know, I'm not not anti uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 
um, or RBG, I believe, is the hip yes, reference. Yes, that's the too. hip reference. Yeah. But I had no idea that she changed the world. Right. I did not know that she was one of the original signers of the Declaration of Independence. Who knew? I was unaware. Who knew? Um, I also was unaware how eloquent she could be on her deathbed by requesting that. Her <laughs> lone wish, if I could have one way. It was like Yoda talking to Luke, I think, apparently. I, I call, you know, call me a skeptic. Not but I think, while Trump is in office. And then I, she just faded away. Maybe a little bit of spin has been applied to that. I could well, be this wrong. is just what I heard. I could be it's wrong. What I, I saw this on Fox News. It must be true. <laughs> That's what Hannity said. And there you have As it, if folks. she was a tiny Yoda. Yes, the, the absolutely impeccable source uh, that is Sean, <laughs> Sean Hannity. All right, now this is just us being snarky, folks. This is actually a real-life issue, and that's why we decided to talk about it a little bit tonight. It's pretty heavy. It is. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, no surprise to anybody, I'm for it. Michael has some reservations, you know. Uh, just in the research that I've done on this woman, yeah, she's obviously to the hard right. Yes. Um, she was quoted as, as referencing abortion as all, always being immoral, which is kind of frightening. Um, I mean, that's all well and good. If that's your personal opinion, that's fine. But as a Supreme Court judge, that's kind of scary, just a little bit scary. Right. Um, and it feeds into, you know, one of the talking points that the left is going to try and drive home is her religion. She's a devout Catholic. Yes, I've okay? read that as well. So if anybody was, you know, born five minutes ago, they know that one of the uh, commandments <laughs> is thou shalt not kill. Yep. And, you know, in my reading, there are some cases that she's had to recuse herself from in dealing with the, uh, the death penalty or appeals against the death penalty. Not so much the abortion issue Yet, I'll, I'll give her props for for recusing herself. Right, that is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because know. otherwise you're looking at you know all of the, these you know justices are they to not be religious or just do they all need to be agnostic or atheist yeah, in order what, to what, execute what are the job? The, yeah, what are the expectations? I mean, you got to be able to separate your personal beliefs from your interpretation of the law. Right, and uh, you know, in some cases you've seen judges do that, in some cases they have not. Yeah. And I, you know, I mentioned to you some footage that I was watching of when she was going through the uh, nomination process for the Circuit of Appeals Court. Yeah. And, you know, Diane Feinstein just grilling her and making reference to how could she possibly do her job, you know, because she's Catholic and she carries this dogma around with her. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a really negative experience. And I think that's why part and parcel of why Trump had selected her. Knowing it's that because she pisses off right, yeah. and she can take all of their shots, which now begins that process. Even well, I, though they can approve her, regardless, yeah, she's going to have to sit there and take it. I think the whole you know grilling thing that we've seen, you know, how many different nominees for the Supreme Court go through yeah. now, you know, going all the way back to Robert Bork. I think mm-hmm. that's part of the process. You got to run the gauntlet, right. you know. How bad do you want this? And now the question is, does the American public see this as a spectator sport when they a la uh, Justice Kavanaugh? Ooh, I mean, that yeah. thing was just a debacle. That was embarrassing to yeah. a great degree. It, it really was embarrassing was. to be an American and watch our duly elected officials uh, spar in that in the way that they did. And, and grandstand. A lot yes. of grandstanding, oh, a, lot a lot of grandstanding. A lot of sound bite. You know, type bullshit. You mm-hmm. know, let's see if we can land a punch. You know, it's funny when you you know mentioned to me earlier this week that you wanted to go in this direction on the show. I did some research because I was curious to see if or at what point the Supreme Court became politicized. Mm-hmm. And the conclusion I reached is it's always been politicized. Right. You know, you can go back to uh, Abraham Lincoln in the height of the Civil War. 
appointing a judge chief justice who was very sympathetic to uh, Lincoln's obvious position as far as abolishing slavery goes. Mm -hmm. And that's been the history of the court. You know, it was established in 1789. I don't know how many people know this. Uh, it was established in 1789. Initially, it was just six, ju six justices. Mm -hmm. Now it's nine. Uh, Congress actually decides how many justices sit on the Supreme Court, which is also something I didn't know. And uh, again, you know, it's it pretty much been politicized from the get-go. Mm. And this is just another example of it. Right. And I, that, that kind of, it strikes me wrong. I mean, if you talk about, you know, the balance of power and the, and the three... Uh, three houses, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. that make up uh, the government in the United States of America, you would think that this would be the one area that shouldn't be politicized. You would most certainly hope so, because their job, like any judge, is to interpret and apply the law in yeah. any given circumstance. doesn't yeah. matter if it's Sandra Day O'Connor or King Solomon. Oh, yeah. You and know, applying got, the law and justice should yeah, be the same. and they've got serious Jews. Um, back in 1803, I believe it was, uh, it was concluded that the Supreme Court could overturn uh, laws passed by Congress if, in their opinion, the laws were unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. That's some heavy-duty juice right. right there. And that would probably never fly today if they tried to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it would, it would cause a shitstorm. There's no doubt yeah. about that. But I saw uh, Trump was at one of his rallies, I think, in Ohio the other day, and he had said to the adoring crowd that uh, you know, nominating a justice for the Supreme Court is one of the most important um, and powerful tasks um, given to the president. And yeah. I, I think, really, other than declaring war, he's spot on because these justices, they're lifetime appointments. Yeah. And putting someone young like herself on the court can kind of guide the course of the laws in this country for the next 40 years. 30 to 40 years anyway. So it's, it's yeah. one of those things that, you know, the effect far outlives the effect of any uh, legislation most presidents ever put forth. Right? Oh, yeah, and Trump has had his opportunities. This will be number three for him. Right. You know, by uh, reference or, or relativity or, or whatever you want to call it, Barack Obama had two. Mm -hmm. And just to give you an idea how rare this is, uh, from 1994 to 2005, the makeup of the Supreme Court did not change. Mm -hmm. That was a stretch of 11 years. Right. So there's that potential with this situation that whoever Trump appoints and whoever's sitting on this court mm -hmm. could be the, the law of the land, so to speak, right. for the next 20 years or so. And her, like, you know, most of the judges on both sides that they nominate, you know, their politics aside, these are very learned individuals yeah. that have worked themselves up, you know, by their bootstraps their whole life, had all these accomplishments and have been practicing law for decades. Now, mm -hmm. in, in the case of Amy, you know, obviously she's conservative, she's pro-life, she's anti-abortion, a uh, big proponent of the Second Amendment and a lot of the more important legislation that she's, um, you know, lorded over as a judge has been about Second Amendment. Yeah. Um, you know, she is very religious by her own admission. She's an ardent Catholic. She's got six kids, four of her own, two from Haiti that, that she adopted. That's interesting. And this, this is, yeah, like I say, you put all this together. She um, came up through the ranks. She was a clerk for uh, Chief Justice Scalia. Um, so a lot of her style of doing things is like his. They believe in administering the law the way it's written versus the more liberal approach, which is the interpretation of yeah. the law. Yeah. You do need to have both. I don't want to have a Supreme Court where it isn't at least close but let's face it, when you got nine judges, yeah, nine. <laughs> there's always going to be one more of, of the other. 
And in recent times, some of the conservative judges that everybody would say, well, you know, they're in Trump's pocket or they're in the Republicans' pocket, mm-hmm. especially in terms of, of immigration, one have voted against. Yeah, his, I'm, his stand I'm, I'm on glad it. you said that because, yeah, given the fact that they are appointed for life, mm-hmm. you know, or two year retire, drop dead, or whatever, they're not beholden to anybody, really. Right. And right. they don't necessarily always go the way that the person that appointed them would have wanted them to go. Right. There's always that possibility. And it's really, you know, you, you touched upon the three branches of government. It's really easily, I think, the most unmolested of the three branches from their original incarnations. Yeah, yeah very much so. I mean, because let's face it, Congress and the Senate, they, they're not worth their weight in shit, as they say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope everybody says that. It's not the, just me. <laughs> one of the real things that John and I agree on, folks. All right. <laughs> and that the president, look, it comes and goes. Every four years, you got yeah, another yeah. shot to try and get it right. This is true. But the, the, but the court is eternal. The decisions should be eternal. I mean, everybody's concerned about overturning Roe versus Wade. Now, I'm one of those rare... Uh, pro-choice Republicans, mm-hmm. so I don't think that should be a, a, a focal point. With all the other issues we've got going on, yeah. let's leave Roe versus Wade alone and address yeah. the issues that are affecting the country right Today. now. Yeah, you'd think once that had been established, and that's been the law of the land for what seventy-two, I think, was when that decision yeah. was yeah. reached. They should leave it alone. It's done, right. and it should be noted. And you know, people don't study history, so how the fuck would they know this? But the court swings back and forth. Yes. You know, during the Warren court from, uh, I think it was 53 to 69, very, very liberal court. Um, since 2005, it's kind of swung back to the right. You know, it does that. goes back and forth. And, yeah, you don't always get the decisions that you're expecting. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Roe versus Wade, you know, I really think, and this is this is a little uh, sidebar, I guess you could say. It's really not are you pro or, or, or anti-abortion. It's really are you pro or you, you know, who's got the right to make that decision? I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever met anybody that was pro-abortion per se, right. um, though there are days. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's more along the lines of who has the right to make that call. And I'm mm-hmm. n- not comfortable making that call for somebody else. I mean, I guess I'm lucky that I've never had to make that call for myself in any right. situation I was in. But, you know, that really is what I think it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are a lot of people that ardently feel that that's murder. You know, so we have a, we have a real solid disagreement here, a real difference you know, of opinion. You I've know? always seen the merit in, in both sides of the argument, but being a pragmatist, and I've said this to you before and I've mentioned in other episodes, I'd much rather women in that position that are going to do that either way go to a qualified professional yeah. and, and get the care that they need so yeah. they're not winding up dead or scarred or maimed in some, in some way or yeah. having the operation itself, even if you consider it murder, um, there's a decent death and then there's just a maiming and it, you, you could jump down that rabbit hole and, and oh, go yeah. on for days. Oh, yeah. But it's, at this point, it's like one of those things, if it's going to happen, it's like prohibition mm-hmm. in a sense that if people are going to drink, they're going to drink. Ra- yeah, yeah, I'd rather have people buying stuff that was made in a distillery with some form of like standards and practices yeah. than bathtub gin going blind. Oh hell yeah! Okay. <laughs> but it is you got to admit it's kind of strange uh, that that always seems to be the litmus test. That's yeah. the first thing that it's comes up. It's a boogeyman, up. though, that they trump up. No pun intended. Every <laughs> time something like this, whether it's a presidential election or a Supreme Court nomination. Or they're about to change hands, you know, and power-wise in the Senate. And mm-hmm. this always comes up. And it's, you know what? I, I don't think the average American's really concerned about this. Because, again, people are going to clean up their own backyard one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's been elevated to the status of boogeyman. It's, uh, it's a great way to uh, generate, 
you know, campaign contributions and whatnot. Right. Exactly. And you know, things are a hell of a lot more complicated. Than and there that. are things that this isn't the only boogeyman. And let's say, like, not as often used, but just as tremendous as when people start talking about instituting a draft. Okay. <laughs> that comes like from out of nowhere into the hot button topic. Yeah. It's like both sides. It's it's they're riding in James Bond's car, and the console flips up. You've yeah. got oil slick, <laughs> machine gun. Oh, Roe versus Wade, yeah, or yeah. draft, mm-hmm. yeah. It, 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 yeah, or in the case of Michael Bloomberg, sugary drinks. <laughs> that dumbass. It does seem one of, to be one of those recurring boogeymen. Uh, and as long as we're we're throwing that topic out, you know, the the big rager this week was Trump not promising uh, to step out of office right. if he loses right. the election. That's been said of. Almost every presidential candidate, going back to probably Jimmy Carter, right? You know, if right. not beforehand, that, that well, he's not going to, you know. But said, I think I'm they the threw only that one about that Barack Obama too, right. and you know, I'm the only one that caught his sense of humor because he does that to bait the media, and they get totally fish hooked with it. That shit. Oh yeah, my God, so. what do you mean he's not going to step down? Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. The fact of the matter <laughs> is, if if you're in that position, you don't really have a choice. Right. You know, you, it's not like you can say, I'm not leaving. Because like, you well, can leave the yes, easy way are. or you can leave the hard way. Exactly. So the next clip is him getting thrown out the door like the, uh, the Fresh Prince's buddy. Yeah. He gets thrown out the mansion all the time. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what's going to happen. But everybody going absolutely batshit over that right. was kind of like, what? Right. I, I, you know, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I do think that was... That was Yet another instance of him deliberately baiting the press. Yeah. And he, he does do that. He does. And I'm noticing it more and more now. And now it's just, I, I just find it as funny, you mm-hmm. know, because these things were for a time, I too is like caught off guard. I'm like, oh my God, why would he say that? That's going to ignite such a shitstorm. And now I'm thinking to myself, well, I know why I said that because it's going to ignite a shitstorm. <laughs> He's done it enough times now. He's like the puppet master with this. And it's idiotic because it's a, it's a waste of energy. Yeah. You know, the joke doesn't get any fresher. Yeah. But you know what? If I was him, especially with the sense of humor I have, I would do the exact same thing. Every single press conference. By the way, we found evidence of, of aliens. <laughs> what, 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 what is this? What, what, what? And they all go running out the room into the phone booths like the movie Airplane and, right. and knock it right. over. Right? Yep. President says yep. aliens exist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not leaving. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> just so we can tweet later. JK, just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, you know, she's going to get nominated. It's probably happened already as we speak here yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, this ought to be a show. Yeah, it it's going to be, be that's the thing. It's going to be a show, but at the end of the day, the Senate votes. They've still got the majority. They've pretty much come out and said, we already have enough votes to push her through. Yeah. And it's going to happen. And, and most likely, she'll be done with this process and get approved probably about a week before voting starts. At least this time around, there won't be any unconfirmable sexual harassment claims. Well, it's early in the process. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true, I guess. You know, my other thought... She's also a woman, so it won't be right. like a... You, you would know, hope. S- yeah, but sexist let's, kind let's of But let's see. This could now... We could see a new level of just McCarthyism now where they come, they come after her like, you're not really a woman. I can see somebody <laughs> like Feinstein saying that. Look at this fake hair. This yeah, means I'm a woman. The, the Dems are going to have to have to dig deep on this one. I, uh, they know? are. They need to find like the thing. Like I, I, I don't even know what they're going to come up yeah. with. I'm afraid. It'll to be see a shit what they're show. Come up with. It'll totally. be a shit storm. Maybe that deflated kickball. Uh, Jerry Nadler will come up with some <laughs> bombshell at the last minute. Deflated kickball. Yes. Nice. Exactly. Like, I like that. that. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm going to jot that down. Ugh. I may have to use that. <laughs> 
Batman Returns call. They want you to redo the Penguin's role as the Penguin. <laughs> you deflated kickball. Oh. Hate that guy. Hey. Um, but in, in all seriousness, as a sidebar related, but unrelated, um, I did my reading on, on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And yeah. there's certainly no shadow of a doubt that she was an educated, accomplished, hardworking woman. And I take none of that away from her. Yeah. My beef was the way she is being lionized, like I said, to make Mother Teresa look, look like a, a street <coughs> pimp. When did she become a rock star? When did that happen? The last six, seven years. Yeah. She became a cultural icon because of her age and how long she's been as the Supreme Court. Is that what it is? Yes, and it's just something they just, the left, gravitates to. But you know what? I'm not taking anybody's hero away from them. The thing that kind of bothered me as I was reading, I did some like side research then, Sandra Day O'Connor, the first female justice on the Supreme Court, nominated yep. and, and approved by Reagan, she's still alive. She's 90 years old, and she has dementia. So right. she's sequestered away. Right. So before we start talking about putting up a statue for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, let's remember the first one that was there. And no, it wasn't perhaps a, a Jackie Robinson moment when she you know, yeah. started her term on the Supreme Court, but she's still the first woman. And this was in, in the mid-'80s, so you know it was still an all-boys club. pretty groundbreaking. Right. And the fact that it was Reagan who, who appointed her, exactly. that's just pretty you know? groundbreaking as well. It's pretty but, shocking in that respect. I mean, first woman on the Supreme Court, and at that time, you could imagine that there probably weren't too many female justices on the Circuit of Appeals Court or anything True. like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and she did an excellent job. There was never any controversy with Sandra Day O'Connor, no scandals, no nothing. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to lionize somebody and celebrate their achievements, do so with everybody, not just because this one suits your narrative and she happens to be a media darling yeah. where perhaps Sandra Day O'Connor wasn't, you know? Perhaps. In the same way as, you know, it was, it was a tragedy when the Challenger shuttle blew up because mm -hmm. of the school teacher, Krista McAuliffe, was on that. Right. But let that not take away from a celebration, which you very rarely hear about Sally Ride, the first female astronaut yeah nothing you know well I mean, they didn't have the megaphone that is mass media these days right but they've, they've had movies recently about neil armstrong yep. and justifiably so he's the first man on the moon yeah i can't believe there's never been a life story about sally ride mm. i mean because let's face it nasa is and is still a military institution yes, okay that's where they call their talent from and here's a woman again in the 80s rising up to this this post to be on the first the first woman in space and on the space shuttle. I just, how can this stuff just get swept away and forgotten? Mm. You know? Yeah. Well, people don't look back, they look forward. Yeah. You know, it's one of the biggest faults that, that uh, I think, you know, education in the United States can be held liable for is we don't focus on history. We don't. But as we see, whenever these things come around, it brings out the same cast of characters, the cowboys, the Indians, oh, yeah. the cartoon characters, even sometimes likened as animals in a jungle. So you know what, my friend? <laughs> that, that was a se I, I think I heard a segue. That folks. was a glorified segue. Yeah. Into well, before, our... we, before we go there, I just want to uh -huh. dismiss what will probably be a rumor. That coughing wasn't me smoking weed on the air. That wasn't, you know. <laughs> that I know wasn't... we came out of 30 days in the hole and whatnot. <laughs> I, I want to dismiss that right away. Though during this break, I might indulge, but just so everybody knows. Yeah, our director we... of security, B, uh, <laughs> Is a bit lonely tonight. Yeah. And she's making her presence known. Hopefully, we're not hearing it I on think, the microphones. I think she's getting in Nigel's ass, personally. She might, he might have came in the back way and yeah. she like, attacked him. That's so. the way she reacts to him. I don't know why. Yeah, next break, she... we'll have to go look for a corpse. I'm thinking so. <laughs> 
But yes, here's our middle gem, folks, and I'll just leave you with this. It's one of my favorites, not this guy's. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get back. We'll talk about that when we come back. So we'll be back in a few minutes after this tune with some things and stuff. <laughs> Walking through forests of palm tree apartments Scoff at the monkeys who live in their dark tents Down by the water hole, drunk every Friday Eating their nuts, saving their raisins for Sunday Lions and tigers who wait in the shadows They're fast but they're lazy and sleep in green says, I'm a snake if you disagree. <laughs> Which could be a commentary on many things. Many things. You see, you say I'm not like a, a lyrics guy, but those come across loud you know, and clear to me. It would never have occurred to me to rhyme bungle and jungle. Never. 
<laughs> but uh, but since that's a Johnny's gem, why don't you explain the significance of that? Since, like we made reference to prior to the break, I've never really gotten the whole Jethro Tull thing. Right. Well, you know, Jethro Tull in and of itself, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. Okay. And I'm surprised you're not more of a fan because you like jam bands. And a lot of their songs do tend to meander a bit. They've actually been put in the progressive category. And actually, they the were past. the first winner of the uh, MTV Heavy Metal Award, which yes, is like, I re- what? I remember that, and I remember the <laughs> yep. controversy surrounding sure. that. Even they were like, huh? Yeah. Now, yeah. if, yeah, I've seen, I've never seen them myself live, but I've watched a lot of their live shows. Yeah. And yeah, they will sit there and just start shredding. And you're like, wow, this is not really flute orientated. Where's that part? Yeah. Um, and one uh, clip in particular I was watching recently from a show, I think it was in the early 80s. And Ian Anderson is jumping all over the place. And the crowd all whipped oh, into credit, a frenzy. Credit, credit is sweating he like was, a pig. Yeah, he was an amazing And then he plays the flute. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little incongruous, but. Yeah. yeah, though I'm not not what you call a fan. Of course, know. while wearing something that you'd see at like a Renaissance fair <laughs> like type <laughs> outfit. That's the thing that they're so out there. And I, I remember yeah. the um, Owen Wilson in Armageddon yeah. when he's going through the psychological tests. And yeah. they're like, what bothers you? He says, it really bothers me when people think Jethro Tull is actually a guy in the band. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, who's Jethro Tull? You know. And, yeah. it's, and it's like that. It's like either you get it or you don't. Yeah. It appeals to you or it, or it doesn't. It's, it's like, yeah, which one's pink? Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, everybody knows um, Aqualung, uh, which does plod through. And everybody knows Locomotive Breath. But some of the more sublime ones like this, Bungle in the Jungle, um, Living in the Past, Skating Away on a New Day, um, Thick as a Brick. There's so many hits that are just really good songs. I think that's really what lost me about them was during the, during the, uh, the 1980s when classic rock was the new, mm-hmm. you know, and hot format in radio. They just beat Toll to death. They, just, they did. Yeah, and it just did. Because yeah. that was the most eclectic band that they could get their hands on, yeah. you know, and... Uh, Maybe you're right. Maybe listening to it now, it's not as, as quote-unquote, out there as it would have been years ago, yeah. especially with the, the re- reemergence of alternative rock, you mm-hmm. know, and all these bands coming out with really concentrating on the, their words and their style and everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. They have been featured on the Classic Rock Showcase for an hour, which yeah. was super easy to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it takes me back to my classic rock heyday of the mid to late 90s. And I got to say, you know, for not being a lyric guy, you know, in sure. pre-show when you were selling me on this, you actually quoted me lyrics from this song. <laughs> and I was like, that was when it was like, okay, I got to let him have this one because he's serious about this shit. Yeah. He knows the words to this song. And it was man. one of the early ones I thought of when we decided on these topics because, yeah, it's the same dog and pony show. And even though the faces change, the characters remain the same. And everybody yep. plays the same role yep. that to do any time it's time for a new justice or a new law to get passed or an election, in which case we've got all of these things happening. Oh, yeah. The so, yeah, it's a jungle out there, kid. It is. It is. So why not bungle in the jungle? Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, on that note, because yes. we, uh, we actually tackled you know, responsible adult version issues. Hey, we did our public service for Right, the day. now we can have some fun, Let's which is what segment two yeah, is man. normally about. Yep. So, Let's for segment two tonight, because we haven't been able to talk about one of our mutual favorite pastimes, mm. uh, superheroes yes. in a while. Absolutely. And this is actually a hybrid. It's, it's about superheroes and or supervillains. The question is, there's something for everybody to chew on, uh, a particular role that has been played by several actors or actresses, 
but is owned, owned by one individual. Yeah. There could be no better. Nobody else should even waste their time. They own it. They're typecast. That kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And now that we're in a heyday of oh, yeah. superhero movies, um, you know, technology has finally caught up. Yeah. And they can do these things. Somewhere you know, in can... the time loop, my teenage self is still squealing with excitement, <laughs> yes. knowing that they're going to make any of these movies that are out there, oh, man. Marvel yeah. or DC. Yeah. yeah. The Avengers, that was a moment of nirvana for me. Oh, yeah. I was always totally. a, you know, a big Avengers fan, a collector. And yeah, that was like, yeah. Now, to, uh, to set the tone for yes. everybody, we'll start we'll with. Set the tone. Yeah. You know, number one. Uh, I'll do one and so everybody sees now what we're talking about. Okay. Now, are we going one, two, three or three, two, one? Uh,. It depends how you look at it. Yeah. Because my number one is a no-brainer. Okay. And my number three is a little out there, but people that have seen it were like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to say I'm going to lead up to my number three. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So my number one, like I said, is a no-brainer, and it's hands down Christopher Reeve as Superman. Yes. I saw that in 78 with my parents, and I was still enamored with Star Wars because it only came out a year after Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. And the tagline on all the posters was, you'll believe a man can fly. Yeah. And looking at it now uh, with the performances in the movie, I mean, him as, as Superman, I could go on for days, but he just nails it. Perfect guy, perfect mm-hmm. time, perfect costume, everything. Oh, yeah. But the supporting cast from his father as Glenn Ford. Yeah, the first... Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, the first yeah. film. Yep, absolutely. And then Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. And, and let's not forget his real father, Marlon, Marlon Brando, Brando. Right? Yeah. I mean... That was heavy duty, Heavy man. duty, yeah. right. And the special effects were excellent for their time. Yeah. The movie holds up to this day because now it's gotten such a... Uh, what's the word? It, it, there's a certain sweetness to it. Yeah. Maybe a little... Naivete, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> to the whole thing, but it's it's like a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah. You know, it's a love letter to the superheroes of our youth before everything got dark and gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it just holds up. And there's been many other characters to play Superman since then, and even before then. Yeah, because I'll give an honorable mention to George Reeves, the original Superman. Yep, yep. But really, nobody owned it like Christopher Reeve, and I don't think anybody else ever will. Ever. He was the first. He was the first guy through the door. And I, I remember seeing that in the movie theater myself. And I remember seeing the ads for it on TV. And that was one of those movies during that time period where it was just like, oh, yeah, we're going to see oh, that yeah. one. We're going to see that one multiple times. Yep. It's like, how many, you know, let's see how many times I can talk my parents out of the movie money to go see this, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, like back in those days, too. You know, there were no multiplexes. I went to a right. movie theater and it had a huge screen, yep. you know, compared to the screens that we have these days. And it was just, you just melted in your seat oh, watching totally. this thing. For two and a half hours, you were taken away. Yeah, bringing memories uh, back as you describe it. Yeah, yep. it, was, it was phenomenal. So, yeah, Christopher Reeves, you know, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He was the Superman. I agree with you. Good call, John. Thank you, sir. What do you got? Uh, okay, my number three choice, since we're going back to front on this. Uh, I'm going with Mark Ruffalo. Ruffalo? Ruffalo? I think it's Ruffalo, but Ruffalo? I could be wrong. I'm going with Mark Ruffalo as the Incredible Hulk. Nice. Yep. Um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, with technology being how it is now, you know, Mark had opportunities that previous people did not have. You know, Lou Ferrigno. Sure. I mean, it was like back in Lou's day, they had two different people, mm-hmm. you know, to play David Banner and to play the Hulk. And uh, the original uh, David Banner, Bill Bixby, mm-hmm. was... Kind of iconic, 
Right. Uh, in, and also already a well-known entity to TV audiences. Yeah. Because they grew up with him with uh, Mr. Ed and all those other mm-hmm. stuff. My favorite Martian, I'm yep, sorry. Yep, yep. So they, they knew him. He had that, that bolster. Yeah. Um, and he had, probably in Hulk lore, the greatest line of all time. Bring and, it. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it still today is in a loop somewhere. It's Mr. McGee. Oh, wait. Don't even do it. I have the clip, folks. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Perfect. Sums Perfect. it up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's just the iconic line. But, uh, but yeah, I think Mark Ruffalo nails the, uh, the conflict, mm-hmm. you know, between the David Banner and the Hulk, that, you know, the, the problems that he's going through, the emotional challenges, the fact that he does not want to be the Hulk. Right. You know, that it's kind of, you know, he becomes the Hulk and everything goes to shit. He loses control and destroys cities and shit mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, it really, really, you know, he creates a very sympathetic, sympathetic character out of that. And, you know, nods to uh, Eric Bana, mm-hmm. uh, Ed Norton yep. uh, at one point played the character. Um, but I think Ruffalo nails it. And yeah. I, I couldn't see anybody else doing it from this Especially point in, the, in the text of the Avengers, because he works very good with the ensemble cast yep. that they have. Yep. Um, sometimes even as the Hulk, the interaction. Yeah. Um, like, the, I think it was the first Avengers when he's busy fighting Thor and the helicopter is getting like blown up. Yeah. So they stop fighting and he still gets that last shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <Yeah>. There's like a <laughs> this small element of humor that just yeah. makes it. Oh, yeah. Know? Or when he shit hammers Loki. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just flings yeah. him around like a rag doll. Yeah. And I forget, I think it was uh, a Thor, one of the Thor films, um, you know, when, they, when they're in an arena. Yep. yep. And, uh, and, you know, Thor is happy to see him. And he's like, oh, it's a friend from the office. It's a friend from work, <laughs> you know. Uh, just beautiful. Just brilliant. Yep. You know? Yeah, good so. call. Because, yeah, that's, he's iconic in that role. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. Number two, John. My number two. Starting to get a little eclectic now. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to go with uh, The Flash. As portrayed by John Wesley Shipp, who played him in the 90s TV series. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. Now, the, the crux of that was, it was the first time Flash was on film, and it was really right on the heels of the Batman franchise getting reinvented. I think the Flash started either 90 or 91, Batman was 89. Okay. So it was very Tim Burton-esque. Mm. The theme music was done by Danny Elfman. So nice. right there, it's already falling in line with Batman. Yep. And the uh, the set design and and the uh, the noir esque aspect of it yeah. mixed old uh, like forties kind of avant garde stuff mixed in with modern stuff. Yeah. Um, Likable guy that he was playing him almost reminds me of the way Gil Gerard played Buck Rogers. Right. Like yep. very much like an everyman, just like a likable dude. Yeah. Um, most of the episodes didn't deal with uh, supervillains, but the ones that did were very good, especially okay. a fan favorite. There was two episodes with Mark Hamill starring <laughs> as the Trickster, All right. which were just amazing. Nice. You know? so Luke overall, Skywalker as yes, the Trickster. Very and he nice. just, he, a character that was never portrayed on the big screen before, or the little screen, um, he owned it. And I think it was after that he started doing a lot of his voiceover work for the Batman animated series, always okay. playing the Joker and all that. Yeah. It was kind of like a step into that direction. Right. So, yeah, overall, I mean, I love the costume. You look at it now, it's like nothing like the latest Flash. And the other guys that have done it, whether it's the uh, Ezra Miller, I think, does it in the movies. Okay. And I forget the name of the kid that does it on the TV show. Both do a good job. Yeah. But maybe it's just me reminiscing my often forgotten 90s that this was a gem that still <laughs> shines through. Yep. And yep. I'll go back and watch the shows. I mean, because the 90s 
fashions were in full effect. Everybody's wearing mustard, <laughs> mustard nice. and purple suits. Yep. I mean, the whole yep. thing. Five pounds of product in their hair. Nice. Just a good time. Nice. Yep, that's my number two. Johnny, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> DC is your wheelhouse. I like it. It happens. All right. All right. Um, all right. So my number two. Um, iconic characters. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because this guy went from playing uh, an iconic character uh, in TV and then it segued into movies. And you would think, okay, at that point, you know, dude's done. You mm-hmm. know, he's made a statement and whatnot. And yet he, again, he rolled into another series of movies and created, an, or brought to life, I should say, another iconic character. And I'm talking about Patrick Stewart uh, playing... Professor Xavier. Professor Charles yes. Xavier. Professor X. Right. In the, in the early X-Men films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's, it's probably because he had first crack at it um, that he established... Yeah, you never you forget know, the first one. Yeah, the, the, the character of... of Professor X, you know, if, if you read X-Men comics, he nailed it. He just mm-hmm. absolutely nailed it. And, and no disrespect to James McAvoy, I think, right, right. Um, who's subsequently, you know, picked up the baton and ran with it. He's done a fantastic job uh, as the young Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still can't help but compare right. uh, what he's doing to what Patrick did. Yeah, because not only does he get, you know, he's got to continue the legacy that Patrick Stewart invented. He invented the screen version of him. Yeah. So he's got to not just act like Professor Xavier, but he's got to act like Patrick Stewart acting like Professor Xavier. Exactly. <laughs> it's even more difficult. Yeah, which, which is even complicated more by the fact that, it, at least with the first movie, you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at this going, wow, that's, that's Jean-Luc Picard right. playing uh, yeah. Professor Xavier. With no blueprint. Yeah. He was the first one to do it. So, But as the, the role evolved and the movies evolved and whatnot, he became Professor X right. and kind of left the whole... Uh, Picard character behind. Yep, indeed. And, uh, and that's not an easy thing to do for an actor. And you know Patrick Stewart is probably cool enough that he read the comic books too to get an idea oh, of yeah. Oh, I bet he did. I bet he did. You know, funny story, uh, back when I was living in Southern California, I was living in Los Files, or Los Feliz. And, uh, Which is Spanish for whale's vagina. I think so. Yes. I think so. And, <laughs> and I was walking through the local, uh, and you know, young kids won't understand this, I was walking through the local video store because they used to have these, these stores uh, <laughs> where they had videos on the walls. And, uh, and I actually bumped into Patrick Stewart. Wow. And he had a stack of Robin Hood. Uh, okay, because that could have been so much worse. DVDs. <laughs> yeah, it could have. It definitely could have. But uh, it was kind of curious. It's like, wow, this dude's really into Robin Hood. He's got right, three right. or four videos of Robin Hood. And a couple weeks later, they had a, 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 a storyline in Star Trek Next Generation okay, okay. that involved the Robin Hood character and involved him becoming the Robin Hood character mm-hmm. in the storyline. So, you know, going off of what you were saying, given the research that this guy obviously does, right. yeah, I wouldn't doubt if he picked up 100 X-Men comic books and dove into them to sure. figure out who this, you know, Professor Xavier character mm-hmm. is. You know, he I mean, was, if you do your research with anything... It's only natural that when it comes time to perform or take a test or do whatever, yeah. you're that much more comfortable. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it always amazes me that, you know, even with any of these superhero movies, Marvel seems to get this too. All the best stories have been written. You pull them from the comic books, you get yeah. good actors to recite the shit that's already been said, yeah. and you got a winner. 
It's got to be inti- it's got to be intimidating for an actor too to take on a character that's so well established in a different right? medium because expectations are always to the roof. Oh, you know, how vicious yeah. fanboys can be. Oh, particularly with comic book characters <laughs> right? and comic book storylines and superheroes and whatnot. Oh yeah, yep. merciless, absolutely merciless. And Exhibit A, Green hell. Lantern. <laughs> Christ, even I hated that movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. You you go in with a bias. Yep, you really do. But uh, but you know. Credit with credit is due. Patrick Stewart's a brilliant actor. He's Shakespearean sure. uh, actor. He's got his chops, well no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, he goes all the way back to... Do you remember him in the original Dune film? I do. Yeah. And I'll do you better. I remember him in the movie Excalibur. Oh, yes. Yes, I do remember that yep. as well. Yep. Yeah. So this guy's, this guy's serious business. Yeah. And no better a character, nor no better an actor, I should say, to play a character as iconic in the Marvel Universe as Professor Charles Xavier. Yep. No argument here. For once, no argument here. <laughs> See, this, right. is our, this is our common ground, man. This is yeah. our wheelhouse. This is where we have some fun. All right. Now, the next one. Is this is where we separate. One, yeah. This, this, this is this where is... we separate the fan men from the fanboys. All right. That just sounds weird. It kind of does. <laughs> in a Turkish bathhouse kind of way. <laughs> All right. That's, that's going down the rabbit hole, John. Now, yeah. now, not everybody knows this, but in the mid-90s, there was a pilot for a Justice League live-action TV show. All right. And it was put together at a time in the mid-90s when the Justice League was written both tongue-in-cheek and ultra-serious. In other okay. words, all of the heroes and whatnot had very distinct personalities, and there were some that just did not like other ones. Yeah. In the same vein as what you see in the Marvel movies, where there is camaraderie and banter back and forth, yeah. but some of them just don't Little like conflict, each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this, this decade in the 90s in the Justice League books captured that perfectly. Okay. So they come out with this uh, Justice League pilot, and it featured uh, a hybrid Green Lantern of like different ones that have existed, yeah. uh, a version of the Flash, the Atom, uh, two female heroes, Fire and Ice, and I think that was it. Initially, that was it. Yep. And <laughs> the Martian Manhunter oh, was also really? in this, right? Wow. In a now he's um, relatively obscure, very obscure, unless you're a fan of the Justice League. He's right. been around since I believe 1955. Don't quote me on that. Okay. Um, but he is also part of the original seven members from the 60s that formed the Justice League, ah, okay. and is in. I believe every single new incarnation of it since then. Oh, wow. But yeah, you've never seen him on Saturday morning cartoons or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. Crux of it is, he's a Martian, so he's a shapeshifter. He's got like this Martian vision, quote unquote, which is kind of like Superman's heat vision. Okay. Can fly, can do all this stuff, can become completely intangible. So he's a powerful dude. Yeah. So they decide, and he's always been like a mentor of sorts mm-hmm. to the Justice League. So he's in this and uh, like constant off screen flashback kind of moments. Okay. And he's played, and this is unfortunately as awesome as it is, it's one of the reasons that this pilot just didn't work. Yeah. Because the Martian Manhunter is played by David Odgen Steers, <laughs> or Styers, rather, no. from MASH, formerly oh. Charles Everson Winchester. Oh, my God. And no makeup except literally like green grease paint they colored him in. Yeah. Belly all hanging out. This oh, bald dude. ass head, God. and he's he sounds like Major Ch- Winchester, yeah, you know. Wilson Winchester, sure. And it's just it, it was my one big takeaway because on one hand, like instantly in the same millisecond, I'm like, holy crap, Martian Manhunter! Holy crap, it's Mayor Winchester! <laughs> and it just yeah. But again, wow, the Martian Manhunter now has been on the Supergirl TV show. He's been on Smallville. Yeah, but as good a job as those gentlemen did, 
there can be no other. <laughs> I mean, how do you top that? As bad as it was, you just can't. It's like wow. Burt Reynolds playing George Washington. It's going to be horrible, but you can't take your eyes yeah, off of it. Yeah. You know, I'm speechless. That's so that, just, that's my that's, number three right that's there. A wow. <laughs> wow. Man. Like I said, DC, your wheelhouse, man. Yeah. Your wheelhouse. Challenge. Beat that. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, folks, he's going to come up with something so respectable and good. I was going to say, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, I can't compete with that. Um, <laughs> whoa. Though, in all honesty, Winchesters do not sweat, they perspire. <laughs> God, I gotta, I gotta search this. I gotta YouTube this. I must see this now. Oh my! It's gotta God. be on YouTube. Well, my number one, potentially controversial, just given the number of characters or given the number of actors, I should say, that have played this character over the years, all right, uh, and are still revising this particular role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about Batman. Okay. And personally, to me, Christian Bale nailed it. He just absolutely nailed it. Now, do you think, and this isn't a, a disagreement yet, um, <laughs> because of his acting gravitas or because of the scripts he was given? A little of both. I mean, coming off of the Tim Burton versions mm-hmm. of Batman, that kind of set the bar a little bit low, right? I think. I mean, Michael Keaton did a fine job, but subsequently, I mean, God, when we were talking in pre-show, didn't you tell me Tim Burton never even read yeah, so according to him, he never even read a single comic book. Yeah, if you're a Batman fan, uh, what Christopher Nolan did uh, with the franchise was so much more um, appropriate mm-hmm. to what Batman was supposed to be. Batman was supposed to be a dark, very dark character. Right. I mean, this guy's got heavy-duty conflicts. His parents were murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, he is a vigilante. And uh, you didn't quite capture that in any of the Tim Burton films. Right. And, I mean, it got... Kind of ridiculous when you you know got into George Clooney playing Batman and right. whatnot. But that's it, still the, the the Schumacher mess. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> even he was playing it tongue in cheek. Like, can yeah. you believe I'm playing Batman? Jesus, right? You know? But I, I can't even watch that one. Oh, I with, know. With the I know. Poison it's, Ivy and the guy yeah, that plays Bane is like five foot five. I mean, it was just it's horrible. It's absolutely absurd. <laughs> but yeah, coming out of that with expectations low, mm-hmm. given that uh, you know Christian Bale is the consummate actor. Yeah. He truly is, um, and he literally, it's obvious, threw himself into that mm-hmm. role. Uh, it's just, it's off the hook. It's really off the I mean, hook. Honestly, the only thing I didn't like about the uh, Christian Bale version of Batman was the Batman voice, because it was so overdone. <laughs> I mean, a couple sentences of it in the first one was, was perfect, because, yeah. yeah, he's got to change his voice to be intimidating. But by the third movie... And hide his identity. Right. It just got so ridiculous, and then it was, it was mocked on, on social media with different memes, and yeah, he's talking like this, and it just didn't work. However, at least with Batman Begins, like you alluded to, they fleshed out the character from start to finish, yeah. and it was somebody you could get behind, and, uh, and a hero you could cheer for, mm-hmm. and you know, I always thought one of the, the neatest things about that was that even though they threw a twist in, and made uh, Liam Neeson's character of Ducard into Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. In the quote-unquote official Batman origin story, he had two mentors in his life, in his young years, when he learns how to become Batman. Yeah. One was Ducard, who was a French detective, who was like, very good at tracking people in an urban environment, mm-hmm. and he was very brutal when he would catch them. He was yeah. like, bring him in dead or alive kind of guy. Right. And the other cat was um, a sheriff out in the great Northwest named Tom Woodley, really? and who died when uh, Bruce Wayne was along with him to apprehend this criminal that had escaped into Canada. Yeah. 
And they said there was a dichotomy there that always stuck with them because as gentle and folksy as Tom Woodley was, Ducard was that much more brutal. Right. And that's why the Batman character would drift in between some of these lighthearted moments, almost mm -hmm. like the 60s version, yeah. into the modern version where he's all gritty and hardcore like that. And that was an element I wish they would have shown because that would explain that the two sides of the character yeah. and why it's been portrayed so radically different over the years. But, yeah. you know, maybe in the next movie they'll touch on that. Yeah. Who knows? Well, that is actually one of the things that I did like about Christian Bale's interpretation, at least in the very first movie, was how conflicted he was. Right. Um, and you do see kind of hardcore stuff with lighthearted stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in the first movie when, you know, the scene with the little kid on the porch. Right. And right. he's like, oh, it is you, you know? And he, uh, you know, almost Joe Green style, he flips him exactly, up. Exactly, you know? right? Now, that little kid, you know who that actor went on to be? No. <laughs> One of the most reviled characters in cinematic history, King Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Oh, get out of here. That was yep. the same kid? That was the same kid. That's <laughs> too funny. Good for him. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, no disrespect, I mean... Ben Affleck catches a lot of shit for his interpretation of Batman. I don't quite understand it. Not so much a fanboy of DC Comics, like we were saying earlier. Um, I think he was, you know, perfectly adequate in a role. Mm. He didn't offend me. I don't think he took it to the level that Bale took it. Right. And it's kind of interesting now they got Robert Pattinson in, mm -hmm. the, in the new version. It'll be interesting to see his interpretation of it. And looking in the, in the trailer, I mean... Looks pretty know. dark. Yeah, it, it could go either way. Yeah. It looks like the um, they're using the more modern version of the Riddler, which is very, very dark. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you don't know until you know. We'll give it a shot. Yep. I mean, I was against all of them before they came out, yep. you know, except for the Michael Keaton version because it's just been so long. And I just knew enough that they were going to stay truer to the character in, in, in a dark sense yeah. versus what everyone else had already seen on a TV show. So I was like, all right, well, there's no way this can't be good. But yeah, I was along for the ride as they just kept making them and they were getting worse and worse yeah. and worse. And then Christian Bale saved it. Yep. And uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan's version of it was just... I, I, I put most of it up to the script and the story versus the acting. Yeah. But yeah, there is an element in Batman Begins before he starts this grand adventure where he is a very sympathetic character. Yeah. Um, I think they lost a little bit of that as it went on. Yeah. And they were kind of ambiguous with the, with the final ending, you know? Yeah. So what is this guy now going to become Robin? Or it's, you know, Batman yeah. going to come back? What's, what's the deal? Well, you know how Hollywood is. You've got to leave things open-ended. Right. But, uh, but, I mean, again, you know, props to Christopher Nolan. You know, not being a huge, huge fan of, of DC in general, um, I was still shocked that they pulled Reza al Ghul, yeah. uh, you know, as the, as the first... Yep. Supervillain he he portrayed, and that really I mean he was another character never portrayed on screen. Yeah, but they've used him now in many animated shows that DC has, they really? as well as the main protagonist uh, for a two season arc I think on the show Arrow, which is about Green Arrow. Yeah, who never really faced Ra's al Ghul in, in the comics, but here he was main character in this TV show. Yeah, so they knew they hit gold with that. They're like, oh, it's somebody different, you know, not just the Joker or the Penguin all the time. Yeah. If I remember the, the comic book version, he's like Lazarus. He keeps coming back from the dead. You because can't... he goes into, literally, the Lazarus pit. Yeah. And it rejuvenates him, and he comes back a little more insane yeah. each time. That's yeah, the you, caveat. You can't kill this guy. Right. Yeah. And they, they write it so everybody within the story arc knows that Ra's al Ghul is the only person on the planet that Batman is actually afraid of. Yeah. Because of his intelligence he's been around for hundreds of years yeah. unlimited resources the joker's a nemesis 
But Razogul is like extinction level event guy, so <laughs> he's at a, a different level. But yeah, props to Christopher Nolan yep. um, and loading up you know all the movies with really really solid actors, sure, and really really good scripts so. and good choices on your part, sir. Thank you, I know thank we you. didn't expect to do this segment tonight, but we needed to, so we didn't start yeah. you know drinking our own Moreau's Kool Aid, <laughs> which is easy to do these days. It's very easy to do. Yeah. So continuing on with our little mini superhero theme, yeah. we're gonna go with the final gem of the night, and this is another Johnny's gem. But unlike <laughs> the last one, I fully endorse this one. Oh, I, fully endorse. I dug this call. Wow. Wow, that'll, that'll get you a gallon of gas yep. somewhere. Yep. All right, so here we go with the final gem. It's the Kinks doing I Wish I Could Fly Like Superman. We'll be right back with things, oh yeah, and stuff.
Good fun. I tell you what, Good for fun. a disco tune, that rocks. <laughs> that, of course, is the Kinks doing, uh, it's like in parentheses, I wish I could fly like, and then Superman, it's the actual yeah. title, um, which I don't believe was part of an album. It was released as a single, 1979. I believe you are correct, sir. Weird. And yeah, I love Ray Davies. I mean, yep. just, just an iconic well, here, here's song. Well, right? uh, here, here's the conflict, folks. I know Mike is a huge fan of the Kinks, and I also know that he wishes... The disco era never touched <laughs> any of our favorite rock and roll bands. But oh, he needs to come to grips with the fact that it did. Disgraceful, it is. And this, of course, gets lumped on the pile with Rod Stewart, Do You Think I'm Sexy, Rolling Stones, Emotional Rescue, uh, Kiss. Kiss, I Was Made for Loving You. <laughs> and the list, believe it or not, does go on and on. And someday shameful. we'll do a segment on it. Fucking shameful. Ugh. But you, you got to appreciate it, bro, for what it was. It screams 70s. Yeah, yeah. And you know, this can, was at the tail end. I mean, yeah. And you can kind of forgive a lot of these guys given the, sure. given the work that they did before and fortunately after. Right, right. You know, and yeah, Ray Davies just, yeah, he's. And the, the pile of, of cash that they got for two Oh, I know. Songs. I know. Oh, well, what can you do? Right? Hey, who are we to judge? We're the ones without the pile of cash. <laughs> That's exactly who we are. <laughs> So I tell you what, folks, that's going to about do it for this episode of the Riffs and Rants podcast. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And thank you so much for joining us. We will see you on the flip side.